Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there, welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. You know, I've been really looking forward to this episode since my two guests who I'll introduce to you in a minute agreed to join me today. I I think that this is probably the most important episode we've done since I started this podcast in August. And today we're talking about mental health. And, you know, last week I talked about how to experience greater joy in our work right? What we can do to derive greater joy in our day-to-day through the work we do. And I'm sure you all know that experiencing joy in our work right now is probably more difficult than it ever has been before. Not just joy in our work, but joy in our everyday. It's more difficult today than ever before, um, but more needed today than ever before. You know, of course, we're experiencing a global pandemic. This is wreaking havoc on our lives. Um, And we are also experiencing a mental health crisis. In this past year alone, many people are seeing their stress levels double. People are struggling with fear. People are struggling with uncertainty, concerns about employment, concerns about finances, concerns about health and well-being and their children and their family members, their loved ones, compounded by isolation, right? Right. I just, I did a little bit of research over the past couple of days, um, and here in Canada, according to a recent poll, and my two guests are going to be able to um, add more color to this and certainly far more expertise than this to this than I, um, a recent poll here in Canada, 50% of Canadians reported worsening mental health issues since the pandemic began. And in the U.S., four in 10 adults have reported symptoms of anxiety and depression. And it's not just the pandemic that's taking its toll, right? We have significant workplace issues that, that are, are in some areas getting worse. Um, harassment, bullying, sexual harassment, and human rights violations, right? Relating to racism and diversity and inclusion. All of these have an impact on our mental health. And while we've seen a rise this past year in, from organizations and leaders focusing on mental health, focusing on training like stress management and diversity inclusion and mindfulness and, and wellness training, while all of these are well-intended, as my two guests will highlight, um, these, this type of training sometimes only addresses the symptoms on the surface as opposed to a really how to address, how to truly prevent and manage and respond to the issues, the underlying issues that are contributing to mental health um, issues in our world today and in our organizations today. So my two guests are here today to help us to understand the relationship between workplace culture challenges and mental health and stress issues and how we can better address them. So I'm thrilled to introduce you to Donna Marshall and Dr. Stephanie Bot, founders of WorkRight, and we're, we're going to hear all about WorkRight in a minute, and the co-creators, and I'm excited to hear more about this, of the world's first harassment prevention and response program, otherwise known as HEART. So welcome, Do- Dr. Bot and Stephanie, sorry, Dr. Bot and Donna to the program. <laughs> Apologies. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have you both. Thank you. So before we jump in, I'm going to do a quick introduction. So Donna Marshall, Donna is the co-founder of WorkRight, along with Dr. Bott. And Donna is a professional speaker, lecturer, curriculum developer, and writer. She specializes in mental health, harassment, psychological safety, and interpersonal training. Um, She, along with Dr. Bott, as I said, is the co-founder of WorkRight. And Donna's articles on bullying and harassment in the workplace can be found in HR Professional Magazine. Donna also regularly consults and advises organizations on how to develop and implement programs on mental health and psychological safety in the workplace. As a mental health clinician in private practice, she also treats clients on an individual basis. Dr. Stephanie Bott is Chief Psychologist at Dr. Bott & Associates, Director of Clinical and Professional Training for the Psychotherapy Program at the Toronto Institute for Contemporary 
Psychoanalysis, and co-founder, along with Donna, of WorkRight. Dr. Bott brings 20 years of clinical experience, business consulting, and curriculum expertise to addressing mental health issues in individuals and businesses. So thank you both. I know you're both incredibly busy, and I'm really, really appreciative that you're going to be sharing your insights and expertise with our listeners today. So welcome. Thank you. Let us know a little bit about WorkRight. What is WorkRight and how are you helping organizations and leaders today um, through WorkRight? Dr. Bott and I got together around the stress issues back in the 80s. So some of you may be aware Ah. of that and some of you may not, but that was really the first recognition in workplaces that that stress and interpersonal challenges impacted culture and individuals in workplaces. And so we developed um, a lot of assessments around workplace stress and culture, and that evolved into work around the area of harassment because harassment in workplaces deeply impacts the psychological safety and mental health in workplaces. And we'll talk about that more as uh, we go through the podcast. Um, And then we took all of our courses and training and um, put those online. And they are developed by psychologists, mental health professionals, uh, people with business expertise at all, because we marry together the two disciplines of um, psychology, mental health, and business, because um, there is such an overlapping interaction between those, um, those factors. But how they play out is very unique. And so it requires specialization in both mental health and business to really start to impact culture and organizations. So that's a quick synopsis. Great. Thank you for that, Donna. And so, you know, you've been, obviously, you have deep expertise, both of you, um, in this field. And so I'm curious, I want to get to how the pandemic is affecting mental health issues today, but have you seen anything like this before? I mean, from my, you know, one person point of view, as I talk to friends, I talk to colleagues, I talk to clients, you know, to me, this feels like we are in the midst of a crisis, but have we been in a crisis for quite some time in mental health or is this something, a new level that we're experiencing right now? I would say, Nicole, that currently what we're seeing is something that was already sort of blossoming in a negative way, and this has put it on steroids. Mm -hmm. And so the seeds of what wasn't working were there, and then it's sort of like any vulnerability when it's hit with more stress, it gets exasperated into a crisis-like situation. And that is where we are. So I I do think you're right. I think that this was sort of under the surface and and companies were aware that these issues were percolating and and the pandemic has just brought it out in the biggest way possible. Absolutely. You know, I I think I was sharing this with you before before we we hopped on to to this podcast. Today, just today, I was having a, a peer group mentoring meeting, right? And we always start with other leaders. We always start with updates. And I would say at least half of us in our updates, I'm tired. You know, I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm done. I, I don't know how much more <laughs> I can take um, here in Toronto. We're in, I don't know what number lockdown we're in, but, you know, kids are back home. Everything's shut and and um, people are, are exhausted. So how is the pandemic affecting mental health issues in the workplace today? I, I think, you know, one of the obvious ones is, the disconnect and the isolation that has been created. And I, I get really irritated when I start hearing about organizations um, suggesting that they can transfer their work world completely offline. I think it truly and deeply interferes with a sense of community, which is a big piece of what people look to from their workplaces for. And to think that you can foster that community in a world of virtual communication without being able to exchange um, the kind of warmth that happens in person is, is just naive. And I think when people propose that, they're actually interfering with people's hope 
that there's an end to this. Mm-hmm. They're actually suggesting that even when we get through this pandemic, that we're going to be continuing with some of the unfortunate uh, symptoms of the pandemic, which is doing work primarily virtually. Now, of course, there are certain people who enjoy this and they'll say to you, you know what, this works really well for me and that's great. And so what we might move into is some kind of hybrid situation, but I do think it's important for workplaces to recognize that suggesting to your employees that this is a permanent solution to stop paying office rent and that that's going to work for your organization is is not a good idea for Mm -hmm. mental health. I I think there's another thing too, and that's the blurring of boundaries. Mm. We used to go to work, whatever those hours were, flex time or whatever, and then we would come home. We might go back to work later in the evening or something, but now there are literally no boundaries. And, and, you know, kids come into to Zoom meetings and you can't help that. I was talking to someone a few days ago and um, they were saying that, you know, they were in this really important meeting and one of their kids came in and was looking for candy, <laughs> you know? So what do you do? They said, I, I don't want to be mean to my kids. They're well, just that's it. coming in. And, you know, it, there just aren't the boundaries. There can't be the boundaries. And people are actually working more hours now than they did before. And sometimes organizations are expecting it that, you know, I, I just called you. I just texted you. Where are you? You know, yeah. and, well, I was having lunch or I was making a coffee or I went for a quick walk. And um, there are different expectations. And I think employers in terms of culture really need to watch that and kind of put those boundaries in place, even though they may feel artificial. Absolutely. I mean, it's we're not working from home. We're living at work, it feels right. Um Yes. It, it, it is incredibly overwhelming. And, and you know, it's one of our, our programs at Waterstone Human Capital that you're familiar with is our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program. And through that program, we talk about it's so important to recognize and understand impact. And I've said this a few times on this podcast. When we ask a leader, you know, or a team member, for example, at the last minute at six o'clock at night to do a report for the next day, that means potentially their four-year-old is on a screen an extra hour, two hours that night, right? Um, On a device, right? Um, And so understanding the impact and the context in which everybody is working is is critical um, because there doesn't seem to be any boundaries anymore. And uh, it's really creating a lot of overwhelm. And also when we talk about psychological safety, Donna, is, you know, is it safe for me to say, hey, I need boundaries, right? And to raise your hand um, and express that concern. And I, I just want to follow up on, on what both of you are suggesting and just point out one thing, which is that the research is showing that on average, people are working two and a half hours more a day than they wow. were. So that's what the research is stating. And the other thing about the boundaries that I think people need to think about is that um, I don't necessarily want people to see my home environment Mm -hmm. or what my children look like or my dog or the other things that are happening or perhaps somebody who's having a bit of a meltdown in the background. Those are personal experiences. And so there's a bit of um, transparency now that has gone beyond what is reasonable in terms of maintaining a professional image that has become quite embarrassing for some people and is affecting their comfort level when they're seeing their colleagues after perhaps some of those embarrassing moments have happened. And so that's another way that boundaries are interfering with the kind of professional image that people may be wanting to put forward in the workplace and how this has been compromised. Absolutely. So we're seeing, so if I just share this back, um, lack of, of connections, right? So this this disconnected Zoom world that we're living in that creates a lack of relationships and human connection and that camaraderie and and relationship building. Um, and, And then the boundaries, boundaries from a work hour and boundaries from a, you know, life separation. I don't want everybody to see every aspect of my life. Um, And that sense of exposing oneself, I think, to a degree as well. Are those the two main boundaries and connections, the two main impacts you're seeing? 
I think so. But the other thing I also wanted to mention is that there's a certain scrutiny that's going on, which is that employers are seeing because they're monitoring people's participation during the day by watching them logging in and out of their uh, whatever their intranet is or however they're managing their work, their workflow. And this is creating a kind of scrutiny and oversight that never existed before. And so there's like a lack of trust as well mm. that the home environment has brought into this working remotely that is putting people into very sort of challenging situations, defending where they were, why they logged out, what's happening. And that's also creating a, a very high level of stress. And I think that then moves into what we will probably talk about next is psychological safety. If I feel I'm being monitored and scrutinized and all of that, then I don't feel psychologically safe to do my job. It Absolutely. Safe to me. Absolutely. And let's dive into psychological safety and also some of the, I want to also dive into what are the signs? How do we know as leaders what to look for that, you know, my, my team members are at risk here. My team members are experiencing high degree of overwhelm and stress and how we can support them and, and noticing that and then supporting their teams. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, a view through the veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Bott and Donna Marshall from WorkRight. And so we just talked a little bit about how the pandemic is affecting mental health issues in the workplace and really want to dive into, um, you know, a couple of areas. So I want to pick up Dr. Bott on this concept of trust. Well, it's more than just a concept, but how trust is being um, impacted. You know, there seems to be either, I see two, two, two things happening. Either there is disintegration of trust in this micromanagement um, of, are, are my people working and how do I know they're working and, and, you know, checking on them all of the time versus this sense of empowerment and leaders learning how to lead in a new way and letting go and empowering others, right? And those who have learned to let go and empower, I find have already had a strong level of trust. We're already functioning well as a team and we're able to pivot. So the lack of trust that, that you were talking about, Dr. Bott, 
was that in part because it didn't exist to begin with? Or is it an effect of the pandemic and working in this new way? I, I think in some situations, you know, we see one of the types of bullying that we see a lot is micromanagement, which we consider mm. aggressions towards people because it causes people to feel like they're on eggshells as they go about their business during the day. And so if they don't cross a T or dot an I or something, even though they've done other spectacular work, they feel like they're going to be caught for, for error um, in a way that's just not helpful. And so I think that the pandemic in many situations, this is one of the instances that it's been heightened because the managers that do function that way are now really anxious because they can't see the people that they were micromanaging before. So they're figuring out other modalities to monitor their activity. Mm. And that is creating significant anxiety in people. And I've been witnessing people actually leaving jobs for this reason because they can't tolerate it. And they they feel like they have absolutely no freedom in going about their work. Mm. It's interesting because I just had a complete sort of mindset shift a little bit when we relate micromanagement to, did you say microaggressions? And in, in, in it's a form of bullying, right? Especially if it's, it goes on and on. And, and uh, so absolutely, that just gives me a new perspective on, on how, how dangerous micromanagement can really be on, on your people and on yourself. Um, so let's talk about workplace culture. Um, and uh, the aspects of workplace culture that have a direct impact on on mental health, and in particular during times like this pandemic. Um, Donna, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about workplace culture and its impact? Sure. So I think what Dr. Bott just said is that if there if if client, ways of communicating were already um, existing they're probably going to be amplified because um, leaders are under stress. Leaders are people too. So they're experiencing all of the things everyone else's experience plus their own pressures in the workplace. And so if I'm the kind of leader who needs control, I'm going to be start to probably take more control. Mm-hmm. If I'm an anxious leader, I'm going to start to really push that anxiety over onto my team. So I think in terms of culture, one of the first things we have to do as leaders is to look at ourselves and say, what are my vulnerabilities to stress and to ineffective interpersonal communication? And hopefully leaders have been doing those kinds of uh, self-assessments up until then through whatever kinds of forms, 360s or whatever that might be, or getting feedback from the team to recognize that these are probably going to get amped up and I'm more vulnerable now. So if I know that, you know, it's like, how do we start with ourselves and say, what do I need to do in order to manage that and to get my own supports for mental health issues myself or my my relationship challenges at home or at work or whatever that might be, then I'm in a better place to be able to help others um, and to not be just taking out my own um, issues, I guess, on other people. So Mm -hmm. that would be one thing leaders do set the culture. And so looking at ourselves, even at this difficult time and realizing that, that I may be traumatized, we're seeing Mm -hmm. really the, um, pandemic as a traumatic incident because it nothing like this has happened before. It happened in one second. First, we're working and then we're closed down. And that's what, what traumas are. You know, you're going along fine and then you're in this horrific car accident and now your whole life has changed. So this is what happened to us. We had a, a global trauma. And so we're all in that together trying to Um, recover, trying to find our grounding, trying to find what we're supposed to do while also leading others Mm -hmm. who are also going through the same thing. So I would say self-care and self-awareness and also um, professional development and personal development is crucial at this time where we may want to put it off to the side. It really is something we need to focus on probably more. So 
Tell me a little bit about, because I'm curious, you're absolutely right. I use that saying leaders are people too, right? Um, Leaders eat last, but leaders are people too. Um, And so for those leaders who have a tendency to just put their head down, work harder, work longer, and just push through, right? Without raising their head and being a little self-aware and asking what, okay, wait, where do I need to pivot or where do, what do I need to let go of that self-care piece? What are the signs of trauma, right? Of, in, in this pandemic um, that will tell a leader, wait a minute, that's a red light. That's a warning sign. I need to pause and look at how I'm approaching this and how I'm leading myself and my team. What are some signs to look for? Classic signs of these sorts of things. I mean, one is if you're seeing people on the Zoom, very often you can just tell from their appearance, maybe they look like they haven't slept, maybe they're very disheveled for a meeting or something like that. So those are like sort of obvious signs and other things are like more mistakes than usual, forgetting things, um, you know, uh, tardiness and absenteeism or even presenteeism when you're there, but not really focused and not really aware of what's happening. And very generally just noticing differences in people's behavior that Mm -hmm. aren't positive. And also sometimes you'll see those people that uh, react by being hypervigilant or trying extra hard to compensate. That also can be a sign that something is off. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, we're in a time where we need to have more conversations like this, more conversations about mental health, more conversations about racism in the workplace, right? It's a time for, for, di- what, for conversations that can be difficult and uncomfortable. And, and a lot of leaders, and I would say myself included, uh, don't necessarily feel they have the skills or the depth of knowledge in mental health or DNI or what have you to be able to help um, their team members or to be able to have important conversations or to even know how to shift in how they lead. Um, so how do you support leaders in building that toolkit and comfort level for leaning into these areas? One thing I think is um, to recognize that I'm a leader, I'm not a mental health professional. Right. And I don't have to be one. So, you know, I don't have to be, um, you know, have advice on mental health issues or how you should feel or how you should deal with your family or whatever it might be. You do need the resources for that. And um, Dr. Bott and I developed um, a mental health certificate program for leaders for that particular purpose to take them through understanding mental health in the workplace and actual knowledge and skills around various mental health disorders and how they show in the workplace. Um, you know, addictions, that's becoming an increasing problem in the workplace. How do you handle that? How do you handle return to work? What does taking time off now look like? And then how do you handle return to work from a mental health perspective? Um, All of these kinds of things um, that we develop with actual skills and tools to manage that. Great, great. You know, it's interesting because, as I said at the beginning, and, and you all shared with the, this with me earlier, so many organizations are, are now focusing, right, on, on stress management training and, and DNI. Um, and sometimes that can just scratch the surface or be a check the box, check, I've offered this to my people, great, we're covered, they have this if they need it, right? And, and I'm talking to more people now um, at larger organizations and, and one you know, a person had said to me at one point, you know, I, I asked my boss, what's the strategy for helping our people? And their response was, oh, we now have, you know, a 1-800 number, which is great, but that that doesn't necessarily um, address the underlying causes. So um, we've tar- started talking about culture, but at the end of the day, you know, how do we address mental health issues at the workplace? What's the the best approach aside from these reactionary training programs or what have you? One of the things that comes to mind when you say that, Nicole, is, is thinking about the sense of community in the workplace. And one of the things that I feel that workplaces misunderstand 
is that workplace can be a refuge for people if it's the right culture. Mm. It can be the place that they go when things are not going well everywhere else in their lives. And they go, oh, I just love going to work. I feel busy. I feel productive. I feel like I'm making a contribution and I feel good about me. When people are doing things in a way that they feel good about themselves, they start to feel better, even if things are going wrong in other places in their life. And generally, Donna and I always talk about this, is that what actually causes problems is the problems in the culture in the workplace. That is where workplaces have some influence over what happens with mental health. Creating a psychologically safe work environment, that includes looking at your bullying and harassment issues. And if you think that they're not there or if people think that they aren't there, they're wrong. They are in every workplace we've ever spoken to. And there's always somebody that is a difficult person or a difficult leader that's creating challenges that needs some coaching and help to foster a more collaborative and um, safe work experience. And the other piece is that I think something that, that can be influenced is creating a sense of community, even though most people are working remotely. And I think workplaces have to brainstorm around how they can create that sense of community in their work environment. And I, I have this story that I've been telling a lot lately about a senior leader that I work with in my private practice. And he told me that in a year since the pandemic, no one has asked him how he is at his workplace. And I think that people are just not even aware of the oversight of not checking in with people and how it is important. It is so crucial for employees to know that they matter and that they're valued and that they make a contribution. And it actually shows that employee mental health is better when they feel valued and acknowledged for their contribution than by compensating them with more money or giving them a uh, mindfulness class and how to deal with stress reduction. Absolutely. It's interesting that you say that, um, Dr. Bott, in, um, at, through Waterstones, Canada's most admired um, corporate cultures program, what we're seeing um, this past year from those organizations who have high performance cultures, they're focusing on a couple of really key areas. One, psychological safety. That's a priority, right? Two, they are actively developing their culture cultures at the center of their strategy. And three, which is something, Donna, you talked about, um, supporting professional and personal personal growth, right? And, and those three things combined, um, you know, there are obviously programs and initiatives to support mental health and well-being, but those cannot be standalone. They need to be a part of a culture <laughs> of psychological safety and one in which people feel valued and are connected to meaningful work and understand how they contribute. Right, and, and you said that that way. It, it has to be an integrated approach. It can't just be like you said. Check the box. Okay, everybody's had their mindfulness course. It has to be integrated into the fabric of the organization and its culture. I want to mention that in terms of diversity as well, because um, what we're seeing with diversity and inclusion is a lot of organizations are trying to improve their social media. They're making sure they have a person of color in their advertising, things like that. But that isn't changing their culture. What is the representation of diversity on their board, in their senior leader team? What is actually happening on the ground? That is where the change needs to happen to create these safe workplaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we get back, I would love to explore a little bit of some about, you know, some strategies. What can leaders do um, um, on the ground with their teams to begin having these conversations or to begin developing a more psychologically safe environment um, if it's not in existence now? All right. So when we get back, we'll return with Dr. Bott and Donna Marshall. Stay tuned. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Vendely. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So, you know, I want to make sure, and Dr. Bott and Donna want to make sure that that you walk away with some tools and strategies and tactics to support yourself and, and those you lead. And so I want you to check out workright.ca and training.workright.ca. You will find a number of resources um, for you as a leader and for your team members. In particular, the Managing Mental Health Certificate, uh, Managing Mental Health in the Workplace, that's for leaders, right? There's a COVID care kit. There's diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. It's a really, really great place for you to begin to build uh, the tools and knowledge you need to, to care for self and others. All right. So please, please check that out. So in the spirit of tools and strategies, um, let's let's start talking about that. So what is a leader to do? Where where should they start um, uh, in supporting their teams and, and, and themselves? A really basic and simple strategy that anybody could do, Nicole, is to just schedule in regular check-ins. This shouldn't be, if we have time, it would be nice to talk. Leaders need to know what are going on, what's going on with the people that they're leading. Are they really okay? Are they available to do the work that they're required to do? And if they're not, what supports do they need? What resources do they need? Do they need time off? How can we support them? And it's really important, and this is one of the reasons that Donna and I developed the Uh, mental health certificate program is that often because people don't have a background in psychology or how to help, they think like, oh, well, if someone has a depression, I should tell them to do this or I should tell them to go see a therapist. But they're, they're giving advice from what they think instead of really hearing from the person what they need. And so I really can't stress enough how important regular check-ins and meaningful check-ins meaningful. are, that people need to be interested and they also need to let their employees know that they care and that they mm-hmm. matter. And I don't mean that it should be like a, you know, huggy, touchy, feeling kind of thing, but in, in a professional way that they should be checking in. And I think another thing to realize is, even diagnostic terms like depression, like you seem depressed. Um, as leaders, we can't do that. There's only professionals like Dr. Bott who can make those kinds of diagnoses. What we can do as leaders is observe behavior. 
So we could say, you know, you're usually on time, like personally, we have this meeting offline. And, you know, I've noticed you're always on time with your deadlines, you're really organized. And for the last couple of weeks, you just seem, you know, not as um, timelined as you usually are. Is, is anything going on? Is there anything I can do to help you? So that will bring out what is going on without actually calling a mental health issue. We really, everything about um, our mental health is revealed through what we do and say. So if we're, as, as Dr. Bott said, if we're having regular check-ins or, you know, check-ins with people, we're going to notice those changes and, and just be able to talk to those. And then, you know, go with what the person is saying and respond to that, not really impose our own ideas on mm -hmm. that. And part of that, sorry, Dr. Bott, I'll come back to you in a second. Um, what comes up for me is a, a level of vulnerability on the part of the leader to have that conversation. You know, um, in my experience, some leaders don't have that conversation or even, you know, in, in a wonderful way as you laid out, Donna, and recognizing the strengths and then noticing the behavior that they noticed and asking a question. Um, out of fear of, well, I don't know how to handle what might come out of that conversation, right? And and I may not be able to fix it, or I may, I, I you know, if I if I don't have the answer, I'm not going to ask the question, right? And and actually, that that is actually what Dr. Bott and I have talked about in our mental health certificate program. That's exactly right. Emotional issues are very scary for people, unless you're a therapist, and then we love it. But yes. otherwise, you know, it is scary, and people don't know what to do with it. And we we give um, some tips like you don't have to have an answer. All you have to do is let that person be able to express it and ask what would be helpful for them. Mm -hmm. That's really all you have to do. So we try and take the mystery out of everything and just give some very simple tools, take the pressure off, let, let leaders understand what they can and can't do because there are a lot of limits legally and in terms of managing risk for the organization of what they can and can't do too. So we address those. Wonderful. And so uh, on the line of vulnerability, I'm curious, you know, with the, uh, you know, I'm a big Brene Brown fan and Dare to Lead and all things vulnerability. And I'm noticing, you know, uh, almost a pendulum swing maybe, and this may just be from my own personal perspective, where leaders are being now expected to be extremely vulnerable from the perspective of something to, to what you shared, Dr. Bott, is sharing more of themselves that they may be you know, used to or comfortable to in order to show, hey, I'm a person too, and to build a vulnerable uh, environment of trust and respect. Is that a fine line that leaders are having to walk right now in how vulnerable do I really need to be if I'm not comfortable being vulnerable? To me, I think the healthy vulnerability for leaders that needs to be expanded within the workplace has a lot to do with accountability and being willing to accept responsibility for making mistakes or not knowing the answers. And I don't think it has to mean that someone has to reveal intimate details about their inner world or how they operate or that, you know, you remind them of their mother and that's why they're... <laughs> like they can't deal with you or something like that. <laughs> I think that that's where we start. Actually, we were talking about boundaries earlier. I think we have to learn how to keep vulnerability professional. Mm -hmm. And when we go into the personal, we're getting into an area where we're actually creating an unsafe vulnerability in the workplace where people can be misunderstood and exploited for sharing those truths mm -hmm. about themselves. And so I would say, um, you know, one of the things I often see is flaws in the you know, micromanaging leaders that we were talking about earlier with the microaggressions or the even more aggressive leaders is an inability to self-reflect and say, you know what, I didn't handle that situation really well and I'm sorry and I didn't set you up for success and I need to do better. And I'd like you to tell me what would have been more helpful and being willing to hear feedback and to be receptive to feedback. To me, that is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
We, you know, some strategies, absolutely, Dr. Bot, the, the one-to-one, the check-ins, right? Um, noticing, as Donna said, right? Noticing behavior changes, having conversations about them in a safe, respectful, caring. This is about compassion and care. Um, what else? Any other any other tips? Things that I'm seeing, particularly as they keep pulling kids out of school, is the people I'm seeing suffering the most are um, working mothers, which I know is like kind of redundant. Um, so, um, but but that idea that I should be able to manage with my children homeschooling and working full time. I think right now we really need to look at heightening our sensitivity and our capacity to be flexible uh, with moms who are in that really, really complicated situation. I, I am hearing from a lot of them saying things like, I think I'm going to have to quit my job. I don't think that they're going to be able to tolerate that I can't be present at these meetings because I have to give lunch and I have to do this and I have to do that. And so... Um, that, that is something that I think there really needs to be some more understanding and flexibility around in this certain culture. Absolutely. And, and the, for those who don't want to or can't quit their job, right, the added stress and anxiety of having to have this persona of having it all together all of the time when nobody possibly can right now um, and presenting that, that front out of fear of, you know, um, looking any other way than professional and on it. Right. I I got it. I got it covered. Um, So what advice do you have for team members who may have a leader or who may be operating in an unsafe environment who, or who may be experiencing microaggressions? Um, how, how, what are steps they can take? What advice do you have for them who, who may be having a a senior leader or a direct supervisor who may not be leading in a safe way? So one of the things I think is important to know is that when there is microaggression or bullying happening in a workplace, more than 80% of the time, it's the person who's being bullied that leaves and not the person who's doing the bullying that is held accountable or given performance management to improve their leadership style. So I think that one of the challenges in that situation, you know, often people will say, well, did you let the person know that you found it upsetting that they said those things with certain types of aggressive leadership styles that could actually aggravate the situation? So, um, you know, and, and even often um, people will be encouraged to go to HR, but HR is often on the management level and they often don't trust because they're worried that HR is aligned with the leadership team. And so as much as we would like them to feel like that's the right place to go, that's not always a good option because they don't feel safe, which is why we actually developed our HEART program, which is a program that can be put in place in workplaces to provide safe reporting structures Mm -hmm. so that everyone has a place to go where they can get support and advice for how to deal with harassment, bullying, or microaggressions in the workplace, and that there's also a place where they could trust that a neutral investigation would take place to look into what's happening and to try to improve the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most people don't actually report bullying and harassment, and when they do, statistically, 70% either lose or leave their jobs. Wow. So. Uh, it's about power differentials and not having space to report. And as Dr. Bott said, if we don't create within the workplace culture um, a safe place to, to not only report, but where things will be kept confidential, where there will be no backlash, where I'll be, if I report, I'll be protected from repercussions of the bully, which happens more often than any of us would want to know in really terrible ways. Um, If we don't have that kind of infrastructure in place, it's almost impossible for people to be able to go to anyone in the organization and feel that they're safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's your hope, Dr. Bott and Donna Marshall, each of you, for our listeners today? What's your hope for them? My hope would be that 
they look at the workplace that they're engaged in and they think about creative and innovative ways that they can make meaningful change to give the employees in that workplace a sense of belonging, a sense of mattering, and a sense that they that they are cared for and that the organization is going to do their best to work with them to come out of this terrible situation we're in right now with a level of success. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Donna? I would say that it's a back to the earlier point I made that that you don't have, uh, Dr. Bott and I were talking earlier about survivor guilt, and we were talking with you, Nicole, that, you know, I feel, you know, I live in a good country, and we have these resources, and we have this, and we have that, and I feel guilty for being upset, or being tired, or being at the end of my rope, and um, we all need to give ourselves some grace here, along with giving grace to other people, because all of us are on this unknown journey and we're I would say doing the best that we can and to um, to just be kind to ourselves and and to others I love that be kind be kind to ourselves and others right back to basics we just honestly right we just have to get back to basics sometimes it's not doesn't have to be rocket science (laughs) caring for each other you know, treating each other with respect and kindness and compassion. It's really very simple, but it's its not always that simple. But be kind. Thank you so much. I honestly, i for me, this has been really, really helpful. I know you have helped our listeners um, re-entry into this new world post-pandemic, whether hybrid or in-person or virtual virtual is going to be a bumpy ride um, and your advice and your tools and, and um, courses at workright.ca are certainly going to be invaluable um, as we continue to experience a lot of change and overwhelm. So thank you, Dr. Bot. Thank you, Donna, so much for your insights. Um, and to the rest of you listening, I wish you all the very best. I wish you some peace and joy in your life. And I hope that you can carry forward some of the advice that Dr. Bott and Donna have shared with you. So I wish you all the best. In the meantime, take care and stay tuned. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.